Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. Hey, how you guys doing? Fun Friday, man. Yes, sir. It's Fun Friday down here in, in uh, Kent County. Yeah. Um, what a week we've had. Yeah, it's definitely been. It's been we've had. Week. It's been like it felt. It feels like last Friday happened so long ago. Absolutely. Considering everything that's happened. Um, so last Friday, the last time we, we were on the podcast, we were getting ready to for our high school girls game. Yeah, that, and in the finishing session before. Yeah. yeah. So finishing session, we had around 50 players show up, which was fantastic. We had a really good time. Uh, all the players seemed to really enjoy the fact that they got to shoot in the goal, which we don't really usually let them do that. Tell them uh, so not to do that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we don't, especially now when they show up, when they first show up to, to train, we really don't let them do that, but they really enjoyed it. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And then right after our high school girls game uh, happened, which I will tell you, uh, I don't think I've ever been more in my element ever before at a soccer field. The, 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 and I think Chad noticed it. Cause I think I was like, almost like giggling the entire night. Um, but from the moment when the girls got there, they put the stuff in the shed from when they came out to warm up, uh, me warming up the goalkeepers, not wearing my polo, just wearing my, my camp Jersey or my camp shirt and then switching into my polo after, like, I think like every, every part of that I felt was at least from my perspective, everything I've, everything I've ever wanted for this club since I got here five years ago, not necessarily that specific night, but the mentality of what that night represented. Yeah. It's Uh, like, it's almost like coaching, like a felt like coaching like a college or high school game with having the amount of fans there, um, you know, people cheering and supporting. I've been to a couple of college campuses where their student section is rowdy. Uh, I can think of one in Tennessee where the students from the campus all came and sat on the hillside. All a thousand students on this whole side watching this soccer game, and it kind of had those kind of vibes not with the amount of people, but just with the people there supporting and the kids cheering and you know, making a lot of noise when the girls came out of the locker room. It was pretty cool, absolutely. Um, I think the girls were, I think it showed at times, and Chad and I were talking about this, it sh- showed that they might have been a little nervous because it's probably the biggest crowd, at least from a club perspective, they've ever played in front of. Um, but it, it it was a, it was a good game. It was fun. There was goals. I mean, it was one one game. We scored a fantastic goal off a free kick, which was always fun to always fun to see. Uh, the twenty ten girls won the uh, cheering award prize or whatever we called it, but they won the they won the prize, which they all got a size one ball at practice on Tuesday, mostly because they had they were very creative uh, and. Uh, they piled up all the grass clippings from around the field. And then when we scored a goal, they threw them up in the air like it was confetti. It was really fun. Uh, and it was funny. I, I've talked to other players from other teams since then, and their first question was like, oh, who won the prize? And I said, well, it wasn't your team. I'm like, oh, was it the 2010s? Because they had the confetti out of grass. And I was like, there you go. See, like, I don't have to tell you. You already told me who won the prize. 
Like if it wasn't, I think it was a good, it was a good bonding experience too. Cause like a lot of the bonding that our teams do are at tournaments and they're usually, you know, kind of stretched far in between times, like really getting together. So it was cool to have them all, you know, kind of hanging out, watching the game, enjoying themselves. And it, until it brought the kids closer and you should probably see that on the field with the results. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I'm hoping that more, more people start showing up to each other's games. You know, I'm hoping that this encourages parents to say, oh, we play at 9 a.m. and there's a, an 11 a.m. game for a different team in our club. We'll, we'll hang out and watch it for a little bit. You know, we'll we'll cheer them on, not just sit there in silence. Like, we'll try to cheer them on. And that's ultimately the environment we're trying to create. And shout out to Dan, too, because he, he he tried to replicate it on Saturday. He did. He did yeah. his team they watched some of the 08 girls game. Um, obviously with high school age boys, they're not going to be throwing grass clippings up in the air or really cheering super loud, but they did, he did get that group to stay after practice. Yeah. And that's, and and that is absolutely what we're trying to create in the club. And I think that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, so a big thank you to all the parents, uh, families and all the players that stuck around or made the, the effort to, to get to the game. Um, and if you didn't, it's all right. We're going to try to do this again. We are absolutely going to try to do it again. And for our viewers that are across the country or, you know, maybe in a different country listening, we are working on our markets and market and analytics team is working on getting live stream footage up for all of our home games. That's right. Yeah. We got a very short clip last, last week. Uh, so make sure you check that out on our, on our Facebook page. Uh, which is facebook.com slash Delaware Union. Thanks, Dwayne, for the uh, marketing plug. There you go. Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer and on Twitter at DE Union Soccer. But yeah, we are, Dwayne and I talked about that uh, briefly. We're like, all right, we got to get, we got to get live stream going. We got to figure out something. So it, it, that, that's it definitely in our plan of things to do. It's, it's uh, we're going to be the club that live streams youth soccer games for anybody. Um, I think it's good. It adds another facet. You know, we always do say, you know, like the page and stuff like that. We, you know, there's kids that end up moving away or going to college or families may, you know, be able to tune in from other states. So it's pretty cool. I think it just adds a different, you know, dynamic to the sports game. We can, we can start our futures broadcasting program and get our younger players to broadcast the game for us. That would be... Uh, would be I know one person off the 2010 team that would you know fit right into that role yep I do too. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a lot of fun all right with us today we have Matthew Ralph he is the managing editor for brotherlygame.com Matt how are you doing pretty well thanks for having me overall how would you um how would you rate the season for the Philadelphia Union considering they they won against Chicago the other night in a tough really tough game yeah. Uh, but you know, they're at the top of the league. They're at the top of the overall standings. I mean, in terms of the season, it's, it's hard to really evaluate this season compared to, you know, the previous 25 seasons of MLS, just because it's, it's been, you know, just really, uh, not really a season so much as a, you know, we've had soccer and we've had a lot of it and it's been, um, it's been really challenging just to even cover. I can't imagine what the players have been going through and their families and, you know, just how, you know, they're, they're essentially not really getting to train a lot. Cause it's, it's like a game like this week, right. You know, they play and then yeah. it's recovery and then there's travel. And I mean, same day travel, they'll be flying to Columbus on a charter and flying back. And, 
I mean, there's it's you, you really can't under undersell like the you know just how unique this season has been. So it's hard to really compare it to any other season, but if you look at how the union have responded to everything that's happened. Um, you know, Chicago, I mean, it was a terrible game, but it may have been their best game of the season. If you think about in terms of their mentality, in terms of how they, I mean, they really magically pulled out a, a result, a win. Uh, I mean, they, a, a loss would have been really harsh, but I mean, it really very easily probably should have been a draw. So to, to sort of see them, you know, they got, they've, they've had luck. Right. And, and, and Jim has said this, like, you, you know, you also create your own luck. <laughs> yeah. um, they've had a lot of uh, really bad luck in the past, but uh, you could also argue that they've created that bad luck for themselves in, in, in their, in their history. But I mean, in terms of just looking straight up this season, you look at 20, the 26 MLS teams and, you know, certainly, you know, you start, you can start going through and saying, well, look what happened to FC Dallas. Look what happened to Nashville. Look what happened to Colorado. I mean, it's not, a complete season and the arguments about the supporter shield are, are valid. I think uh, just because you, you really, I mean, the normal, normally it's some imbalance, but there's at least some, <laughs> some semblance of uh, you know, of a competition being uh, across, you know, cross country travel, you know, all those things that haven't happened um, aside from, you know, the union did do two long road trips to start the year before everything shut down. But just looking at the season within the context of the season, I mean, there I don't think anyone can argue at this point that who the best team is. And that's really exciting. Um, you know, what does this mean in the larger scheme of things? Like, you know, I've kind of been one of those people who've been, uh, you know, who sort of have, I've rejected the comparisons to them, to themselves. Like, I don't want the union to be the best union team. You know, I, I know at the end of the season, you're trying to find ways to, to say that it was a positive year. So you say, Oh, this is their most points. Uh, you know, this is their first playoff win. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not really interested in the best union team being out there. I think anybody who really wants Philadelphia soccer to be successful from the top down wants a championship, wants a trophy. And right. so I think right now, I mean, barring some sort of I don't even want to speak it into the universe, but barring some sort of epic like failure collapse, like the league just folds or something, uh, I, the union are going to win hardware. And it's going to be, you know, sure, fans will probably of other teams will, will find ways to poke holes in it. But, you know, there's going to be a trophy in the trophy case. And I think it's going to be well-deserved and well-earned. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone – uh, who's followed this team or lives in this area and is involved in soccer um, has any reason not to be extremely proud of every of Jim Curtin and everybody in that organization and everybody who's contributed. I mean, even, Hey, Joe Bendick now has contributed to this season. So, I mean, it's just been, it's been something else. I mean, to follow, to watch, uh, it's been, it's been stressful. It's been challenging to cover it because uh, of every time I turn around, it's like, Oh, you know, here's another press conference. we got to, got to put on the calendar or another game to cover or preview to write or match recap to schedule. So um, no, it definitely in that, that sense, I think they've owned 2020 uh, in terms of the regular season, Portland has a trophy uh, that would have been nice if they could have, uh, <laughs> you know, gotten by Portland down to Florida. But I mean, but on balance, I think uh, the union have proved that, you know, they're deserving of the accolades and deserving of the record and the standings that, you know, the table doesn't lie. Right. 
No, and well, I think it's interesting is they they are unbeaten at home, yep. which which ultimately to almost have that environment considering that there are well now they're the last couple of matches there's there's been fans or very limited amount of fans that are able to to come into it, it to be able to have uh an unbeaten streak at home and winning all eight games at home so far it's been unreal what do you think about the so the philadelphia union have have been have had this stance for for a while now where they want to promote their own players from within um, you know, the philosophy from the academy side is to to try to get first team players in. So, you know, Brendan Aronson, Mark McKenzie, Matt Real, Anthony Fontana, Aronson leaving at the end of the season. Do you think that model in general, do you think the Philadelphia Union have achieved a almost a sustainable model to be able to? Obviously, you know, every season is different, but do you think they can now achieve success with this model for years to come? I think, you know, I, I still think there's some things that uh, haven't, you know, there's a, there's a whole uh, part of the story that hasn't been written yet. And I think it's, there's certainly reasons to be optimistic and exciting. And, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of followed this, this acad- academy uh, since I, you know, you know, it was, was, it was around and I was going to YSC a lot. And so I started going to games and taking my kid and, you know, you know, I remember, just looking through some photos last night of, you know, Brendan Aronson when he's like 14 or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's got the bop, bop top and, uh, you know, he's one of the smaller players in the field and you kind of see how, how, you know, that environment has really fostered an opportunity for really talented players to, to get to the level of playing professionally sooner. So, um, and, 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 and it's been, you know, it's been really a labor of love from Richie Graham and a, a tremendous amount of investment. I don't think, I don't think uh, union fans even really fully appreciate yet how much, how much has been invested into that place and how much, um, you know, the model that, that uh, the business model for Richie to, you know, essentially, you know, he could do anything with the money that he makes there. Right. You know, in terms of fees coming in for leagues and, 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 you know, his tournament businesses and all of these things, but he's basically taken that money and put it right back into the development of, of these players and, you know, into scholarships for tuition for the kids to attend the school and, you know, create an environment where, you know, a player like Brendan Aarons, I mean, when he showed up at the, you know, there's, you know, you hear the storyline a lot about, you know, him, you know, essentially being, you know, Jim coaching him since he was 10. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a, you know, it's not completely, it doesn't, it doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, Brendan showed up at YSC, you know, and, you know, he was at a tryout when he was 10 or whatever. And, you know, there's like 300 kids out there and, you know, he's one of the smaller kids out there and he, you know, he, he proved himself right from the get go. He showed up as a, as a really, really talented player. And a lot of these kids come into that program as, I mean, they're high level talents before the union ever gets a hold of them. Um, but what you're seeing is that, that how they've, they've taken players that, probably would have been on the pro path anyway. Um, you know, they would have gone, they would have found their way and they've essentially expedited their um, they've, they've, they've raised the ceiling, right. They've, they've, they've expedited the process by which you can get players into a pipeline to get them to professional soccer at 18. Right. Cause that was, that's something that was not happening. Um, you know, you know, you look across the league you know, even six, seven years ago, and you did not have 18-year-olds 
playing every day. Like it just was not a thing that happened. You had, you, know, you always have outliers, but so I think from that standpoint, like they've, they've, the model has proven that they can, they can expedite that process of getting players into the system and into, into professional soccer. And, and with Brendan, you know, he's a special player and Mark, you know, it was likely to follow suit in terms of being sold to Europe. They've, they've shown that they can do that. Now, now there's still the question is, is that if you're selling your best young players um, and you're certainly recruiting new talent, always is coming into the academy, um, you know, how do you, how do you continue to balance that with, you know, the, you know, wanting to win, uh, win something, right? Because if they do win a trophy, which they probably will, I mean, Brendan Aronson will have been a big reason for that. Uh, Martin McKenzie will have been a big reason for that. You know, Anthony Fontana will have been a big reason for that. So, you know, it's it, it, from that standpoint, I think it's it's sustainable uh, certainly, and the model has proven that it it can it can work. Um, the the question for me still is how does um, how does all of that work in terms of the first team, um, you know, actually like being competitive year after year after year? Um, is there going to be a drop off with with Brendan and likely Mark? Uh, leaving at some point um, in 2021, um, if not before the season starts, is, you know, will the, will those will those those positions be filled and everything will be fine? I don't know. That's that's the question. I don't I don't yet know the answer to. Um, I mean, there's certainly reason to be optimistic and positive because because we've as we've seen um, whether the whether the union are in fact, a deep team, or they just have people who have bought in and are are working hard and show up when they need to, when they're taken off the bench and they're given a chance. Um, you know, there is definitely a team that's been built, and there's a you know there's something about like you know the whole idea of a team being more than any individuals on the team, right? So, you know, they're they're still punching above their weight. Um, I don't think anyone, uh, you know, as much talent as they have, there's still a, an element of, you know, the union are, you know, are earning respect, but there's still this like sense, like uh, there still is that question mark, right? Like, can the union win with a team of, you know, predominantly, uh, you know, homegrown players, players through their system and some, you know, some investment, you know, foreign investment in foreign players. I mean, uh, you know, Jamiro Montero is the still the highest, you know, he was the highest like transfer fee paid for a player. And I mean, as great as Miro is, and I mean, as incredible as he's been the last like, you know, few games before his uh, suspension, that's still in the, in the world game. That's relatively not a lot of money that was spent to get him into the, into the, to the team. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm, I'm as high as I've ever been on this team and I'm, I'm positive about the, the way that the Academy is being built and the, the systems being built, but I still think there's some things that need to, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm more of a, like, you know, you need, you need to show me, don't tell me uh, kind of guy. Casually optimistic. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think the interesting part is that, so I, I listened to an interview with Jim Curtin about, and he was talking about um, it was it was for a uh, CV Academy coach's voice. Um, and he was talking about and it's mostly for European people, I guess. It's more of a European audience because he was talking about the MLS system in general and kind of explaining it. And he was talking about how the Philadelphia Union there, you know, the signings that they might bring overseas 
might be the players that either, you know, had a hard time in different places um, or, or they're looking at leagues that sometimes people don't focus on, you know, the Venezuelan league, you're looking for players that just aren't necessarily the players that everyone's going to go after, you know, uh, inter Miami went out and picked up a couple, a couple Argentinian kids that, were were going to be the big next big talent in Argentina and they they got him a year before Inter stepped on the field you know so they they've been just basically training for a year um and and you saw that with Atlanta as well before when when they when when they signed some players so i think this mentality that they have of just like listen we're just going to bring people that fit our system and fit our fit our mentality as a club and um i i definitely think that some of the signings they have have definitely uh uh the right attitude uh even you know there's they don't have a problem you know getting an argument you know getting a little chippy here and there so that's always that's always good you know brings a different element to the game um but what i think it's interesting is their whole mentality is can we can we grow players from within and i think that's something that you know from a sustainability perspective you know, once Brendan Aronson leaves and uh, and at some point maybe Mark McKenzie leaves, then, you know, you still have players that I think ha- are bought in. You see Corey Burke scoring the game-winning goal against Chicago. I don't think anybody expected that. You know, Andre Blake has to come off the field and, and someone else has to come on the field, you know. So I think things are the – one, the one thing I really enjoy about the Philadelphia Union, and I've talked about this before, from even their academy into the first team, is the mentality they have even when players are training. Uh, I've gotten to watch the the academy train. I've got to watch the first team train, and it looks very similar from not necessarily from the actual like training perspective, but from the before and after training. The respect that that then the environment that's been created there is is wonderful to see. Um, players inter- like base pre COVID uh, shook their hands uh you know and you know basically said hi there's a level of respect there that i think translates into the game that's ultimately what you're looking for if you have players that are bought in at training then you have players that are bought in at the game no matter what you're Corey burke coming in and scoring the game winning goal against chicago that that's ultimately what you create what i think is going to be interesting is so if philadelphia union two drop out of the usl and some of the other MLS teams drop out of the USL. What happens to that feeder system that you have? What What are they going to do? Yeah, it's interesting because I I think that you know if you, you talk about Brendan's development, I mean it's weird. It's almost like it, it, he's a, he's a twenty year old kid, and you're talking about his development path was is very different than what exists now, even a few years later, and. I, you know, I think, again, you know, as someone who like wants to see it happen before I, you know, I'm all in on something, I, you know, I, I thought that in terms of his development, it was very effective to have a team where he was surrounded by some, you know, older players who could sort of take him under their wing. I mean, you know, James Chambers, you know, who's still in the system and is, uh, you know, is, is an asset still to this day, but, you know, when he's playing in USL, and they're, you know, they're winning games and they're making the playoffs and, you know, Brendan's getting that opportunity to sort of uh, play in that, in that environment. Uh, you know, I think it's tough to argue that, that not being in the USL would have been better for Brendan. Um, but at the same time, 
uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, I think there is a, there's a lot of considerations that, that have gone into, um, you know, USL and MLS don't really, uh, you know, they kind of for a while needed each other. And now I don't really know that they do need each other. So, um, you know, there's, there's certainly financial considerations. Uh, there's, it's expensive to have a USL championship team and they require a lot of things of, um, of teams that, to be part of that platform. So, um, and there's, there's, I understand, I, it, there's a lot of fines that go out if you don't follow um, very specific standards and patterns. And I mean, even on down to how, you know, you handle media requests and things like that. So um, I think it, 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 that's going to be really interesting because like, again, like you said, I mean, the, the, the system that, you know, Ernie Stewart sort of strengthened, um, and, you know, was part of sort of building that pipeline where you, you know, you, you bring the sort of the top level young player academy players and kind of bring them into that environment and see how they do. And then if they, if they do well, like Brendan, they kind of continue, if not, you send them back <laughs> to the academy to sort of, you know, sort things out. It's like, you know, you're, you're always, I think within youth development, right. Even when you're trying to play a kid up in age group or whatever, you're, you, you want to be careful not to, you, know, you want to expose them and see how they do, right? How they how they problem solve, how they figure out the 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 high, the, the the faster speed of play, the you know the way that you know the, the they they have to play to, to sort of fit in at that level. And then um, if things kind of go okay, then you, you sort of you kind of run with it. If not, you kind of you want to get them out of that environment and get them back to a place. I mean where they, where they can score some goals, where they can build the confidence back up. And so I guess like that, my concern right now is, um, you know, so a striker who's, uh, who, who's too old to play uh, for the U 17s. Um, and, you know, where does he go to kind of get confidence if they're getting, you know, goals are hard to come by, right. When you're the, when you're the, the 16, 17 year old team playing against, you know, you know, some of these teams have guys who are like practically 30, you know? Um, and so, um, you know, it's weird. It's weird not having, you know, so you end the U19 team because you have a team in USL and then you, you pull out of the USL. So you kind of have a U19 team again. Um, I, I don't know. There, there's a lot there that's kind of confusing and um, I'm not, I'm not sure what, what's going to happen, but I also know that, there's definitely lots of reasons to trust, <laughs> uh, trust the, 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 you know, trust Ernst Tanner in terms of what he's trying to accomplish and the ways he's trying to still uh, kind of put these kids through the fire a little bit, um, which, which is important. Um, you know, uh, Union 2 is, is training still there. Uh, they played against Christos in a friendly recent last weekend and they're playing Westchester United and, you know, they're, they're, you know, getting challenges to, uh, against, you know, teams of adults, uh, you know, high level amateur squads and stuff. So I think there's, there's opportunities there for them to still continue to grow and to, uh, to compete. Um, but, you know, the proof is going to be in, you know, what happens to this next, um, you know, this next group of players that come through, um, is it, is it going to be, um, you know, a similar, uh, similar, thing is it going to be better I mean I, I don't know I mean they, they, they definitely have a lot of talent I don't think um 
you know, talent, talent, you can't really, <laughs> you can kind of mess up talent, I think, but I, I think uh, still, even with mistakes being made, I still think there's, if there are mistakes, I can't say that they are, or they aren't, um, you know, you're still going to see that, that, that continuing, like you said, the mentality of, uh, of players kind of knowing from a young age, like what, what, what they're there to do and executing that. And, um, you know, when, you know, it's like, it's like, if you think about it, um, sometimes I think like when these guys like debut, right. Like how big a deal that is, right. Like you're, especially you're like 17, 18 years old and you're stepping onto, you know, the top level of soccer in your country. And me as someone who's never, who never played at a high level, I'm like, man, that's gotta be terrifying. Like, you know? right. um, and then, but then you see them and they, and it's not to say they're not, they're human. So it is a little terrifying, but they've been, they've, they've, it's been ingrained in them what they have to do. And they know, cause I mean, no, like they know immediately that they've done something wrong. Right. Like they know from the time, I mean, cause it, this is not, um, you know, you know, as, as positive as everything about this is, it, it's not uh, it's not a tea party where they train uh, at the academy and the, their their gate like this these these are real. I mean, it's very intensive and like I've I've tried to explain like it's hard to even explain how how intense this stuff is like for kids yeah. at a very young age and how some kids don't make it because they realize like ah, they they're it's not it's not in them right like. Yeah. They're like, uh, this is really cool and this is really fun, but I, I kind of want to, um, you know, play basketball too. So, uh, <laughs> or hang out with my friends or like be, uh, I always, I always tell the kids in the academy, like, you're not normal. Like you're not a normal kid. Um, right. You're not really allowed to be like, you've put yourself in an environment where you have to be a mini professional at 14. And with that comes a lot of responsibilities off the field of how, about you know the things you're putting in your body, the, um, the, the what you're doing with your time, like how late you're staying up at night. I mean, there's so many things that kind of go into that. Where um, if you're serious about something, in this case soccer, uh, you have a lot of responsibility, and you 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 aren't afforded the opportunity to just basically go go eat an entire pizza and um, you know on Friday night or whatever. So, uh, which is something I I you know was proud of proud to do when I was 16. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, yeah, no, I think there's a lot of questions, but again, I mean, I, I think the team has certainly earned our trust to, 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 to give them, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt and to, to see that they're also, they're, they're, they're sort of not just, um, you know, shaping the game here in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia area, they're also shaping it for the country. And that's, that's exciting to be, to see, sort of see that and, and be part of that as well. Well, and I think the, the, I think you bring up a good point. Like, does this start raising the question of, is the professional system does, does that need an updating in general in the country you know you look at different i follow south american soccer a lot and you basically have your your top division clubs have a reserve tournament and the reserve tournament plays exactly the same schedule that the first team plays just there's a reserve tournament and they have a similar to to europe they have an under 21 Champions League in Europe, they have another 21 Libertadores in, in South America. You know, are we at a point where there needs to be their reserve system or similar to how uh, Spain does it, does it need to be a first division, second division promotion relegation and your second team plays in the second or your third division and can't get promoted kind of thing, you know? Um, 
does it start raising that question? Because I think that'll be interesting. I think that changes the game to a certain extent because if you look at the standings now and Skeleto got get fired yesterday for not being able to produce points in Galaxy, and you look at it, he's got three games left and he's only six points out of the playoffs, but yeah, you don't make the playoffs, but but what's the other consequence? Like there, there there's no consequence. Like in in some of these countries, I mean, like you don't make the playoff, not not making the playoffs because there's no playoffs in in some in majority of other countries. There's really no playoffs. But um, if you're not fighting for a Champions League or Europa League or Libertadores or Sudamericana spot or or you're or you're fighting for relegation, like that that means something like there's something there about the idea of fighting for relegation and and what that ultimately brings in as well or just are you fighting for under 21 champions league sort of you know kind of thing like i think that i think what the philadelphia union along with other clubs are doing now raises a question of does the does the professional system in the u.s need to be updated is there something that needs to happen between MLS and USL. I would like to see him fight for uh transfer money since they don't get so much like fight for a DP spot or something, like give them something else to play for. Like, I know like tanking isn't prevalent in the MLS, but I think they should kind of be proactive before like teams find a way to tank. Like I know the super draft isn't like huge, but like, you don't want to see what they do in the NBA where they just shut it down for the last like five games, give them something to play for. Is it an allocation spot? Is it, I know that the, uh, the MLS is back. It was a spot in the CONCACAF champions league, like give right. them something else to play for other than yeah. the supporter shoot. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's going to be interesting. Like I mentioned, um, you know, with, if MLS does kind of continue this trend of, pulling out from USL, does, does USL become more of a, you know, competition to MLS? And, uh, you know, I think, I think to sort of have a, a, a com- somewhat competing league that, you know, looking at different ways of developing players, I mean, their academy system they're looking at is more of like a high school model of, you know, where you have a team of players of mixed age groups. Um, that's, I'm really interested to see how that goes at an academy setting. Um, you know, you know, there's, um, you know, uh, does, does, does MLS then, you know, buy players from USL more? I, I don't know. Like there's a, there's a lot of questions I have about, you know, what this, this idea of um, MLS kind of building their own, you know, their own structure from MLS next and that they add this reserve league that they're, they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, they then essentially control, you um, you know, they control the pipeline. Um, you know, is MLS a, a league that's uh, that can be trusted to do that? I don't know. I mean, um, but I think one of the things with the union is that 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 I think the union um, are the are kind of leading this this uh, this movement within MLS. And sometimes I sometimes I say I joke that you know the union gets so much credit because everyone else is so bad at this. Um, and, uh, you know, my hope is that other teams catch up and the union just continue to get better at it. Uh, the union continue to sort of be the, the leader in, um, you know, and again, I think the school is such a huge component of that, uh, you know, the, the additional training sessions. Like you, cannot, um, you cannot undersell how much that, that has impacted these players that, 
they're getting 10 training sessions a week and they're playing games every weekend. And there's a lot that they're doing, but yeah, to see sort of, you know, that and, and the influence from what they're doing then influencing the rest of the league, I think there, it does, it does sort of show, um, you know, that there are, um, there's opportunity there and that, that, you know, change is always scary. Right. (laughs) And I'm not, I'm not a big, I'm not like a fan of change for the sake of changing, but I, I do think that there's a lot of things wrong with our system. Uh, you know, our, we've had so many competing interests for so long that, you know, to sort of have, um, you know, the way forward of where you're, you do have a little bit, you, the, in my, my opinion, like the more people who have a stake in these things, the better. And so my concern with MLS is that they're, they're sort of like trying to control um, all of the development and then not, you know, I think clubs should be getting, you know, they should be getting like the, the younger club, the, the clubs that sort of are feeding these players, you know, I, I don't, I don't think they're getting enough, uh, enough of the credit. I mean, they, they can't even get mentioned in the press release when these players are signed. So sometimes I have to search, like, you know, use my Google searching skills. Where do they come from? To find out where these kids, you know, and not, and this isn't a union thing. This is a league thing. You know, yeah. Oh, where, what club did he play at? Where did he come from? Like they, like I said, with Brendan, like he didn't just show up in, right. in King of Prussia for a tryout. Like, you know, he, you know, he came from, you know, Medford and, you know, a really great club in real uh, Jersey FC, which is, his dad is very involved with and his brother played, played for as well. So, um, you know, I think there's definitely, um, there's like, there's some good aspects like you mentioned, Sebastian, about, you know, having like the pipeline and having and sort of like MLS, like really paying attention to that, that eight, especially that 18 to 22 window, which has just been uh, so neglected. And the college system is, uh, I still, I still think the college system, you know, if, if you could get somehow get the NCAA to care about soccer, which is never going to happen. Um, it, but if you can somehow still find a way to make that system more effective, uh, I think they can still still be a part of this. But, um, you know, MLS can't <laughs> MLS needs to, like, control that they need they need players in the 18 to 22, 23 um, uh, level to sort of be developing and growing. And because not everyone can 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 become a star at 18. I mean, there's plenty of these players who you're seeing that with Anthony Fontana who, you know, I, I think he's someone who could be a, a long-term MLS player. Um, but, you know, it's, it, he's not, he's not gonna, he, he's not on the same path that Brendan was. Uh, um, you, you could argue maybe he would have been, I don't know if they hadn't gotten Dash Kyle, but, um, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's still a lot of opportunities for players to develop. Um, you know, they just need time. They need to see the field and, not everyone is ready at even at 21 to, to, to be an everyday starter in MLS. Well, and I think the, the other part of it is that, and this could be a whole separate conversation altogether about the financial aspect of the youth development of it. Um, you know, the, there's been a whole debate and, and cases and about the reciprocity fee and all these other things that you end up getting from the percentages and things like that. And the, you know, and this is a big thing in in different clubs about how much of a percentage you own of a player's pass ultimately to be able to like sell them. And, you know, the, do you keep a percentage and, 
you know, you saw, you see it with, with some of these smaller clubs. I, I, and again, I, as I mentioned, I follow Argentinian soccer a lot and Lautaro Martinez is the perfect example of that he goes to enter for a record signing and 10% of his, of his, um, of his player pass or, or transfer or whatever you want to call it was owned by the club that saw him grow up when he was like 13 or 14. They, they still own 10% of, of whatever his, uh, his transfer fee was. And so, you know, those, those things uh, are, are different. I think in this country that those things don't necessarily happen all the time. I think, um, there's a lot of loans and loans with, with options to buy players and things like that. And, and, but I think the problem is, is there's so many governing bodies in this country, as far as like who controls youth soccer and none of them seem to be connected in any sort of shape or format. And, and there's a, you can say that there's, there people are trying to connect them and, and, but I feel like every two years, something else happens that then gets disconnected and people try to rebuild it. I mean, you saw it announcement this week was that, the girls Academy is now joining or going to be partnering up with the MLS and with USYS, which the way I looked at it, I'm like, well, isn't that what you guys all separated yourselves from? Uh, U S soccer was running the DA U S soccer decided not to run the DA anymore. So the MLS took over the DA, which all the MLS clubs were part of the DA to begin with. And then the girls DA disappeared. So the girls Academy formed. And now all of a sudden the girls Academy and the MLS are partnering up with USYS. Like it, it's, you just in, in this is a kind of a weird way of saying it, but like you grab the pig, put a different shade of lipstick on it and send it back out in the show. Like it's all you, it's all you're doing, which I get it. There's different people in charge and Leslie Gallimore, I think is a perfect person to, to take the lead on the, on the girls Academy. But there's gotta be something different. It can't just be the same thing over and over and over again. It's like you said, right? It's not, don't, don't tell me you're going to do it. Just show me, show me the product of it. And I think, again, there's a whole different conversation as to youth development that we could dive into and, and the financial aspects of it from that perspective as well. So. um, Yeah. It's, it's wild, right? I mean, you know, we're in a pandemic and the DA is like, okay, you got soccer is like, we're done with the development Academy. And then we build a new thing and it's like, well, nothing really changed. Like it's just, uh, I mean, certainly from my perspective, it's, um, you know, the union's still, you know, mopping up on teams. Like it's not, <laughs> you know, and part of that, the scheduling is a little weird and everything's kind of just strange with uh, sticking to regional uh, regional games and stuff. But um, yeah, it is, it is kind of, kind of strange. It's, um, you know, and I don't, I don't follow the, the, the girls, girls side of things as much, but it is, uh, it is still, yeah, I saw, I kind of had the same reaction. It's like, well, okay. So we, you know, you're, you're, it's like, you're kind of like, what's the set? Like, you know, six of one half dozen the other, you're kind of just like doing the same thing, but like, you know, slapping a new logo on it or, or, uh, you know, putting, you know, you, you know, paying someone like me to build a website for it. So, uh, <laughs> which, which isn't bad, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I haven't built any soccer website, so, um, <laughs> Uh, but no, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it does start to say like, okay, well, can't, can't we figure this, figure out, can't we all kind of get together and figure out the best solution uh, for this moving forward? And, um, but, you know, we're people and we're, we're Americans, right? And so, um, you know, we're, we're the great, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, if you think about like uh, how the uniqueness of this country and how, you know, uh, it, it can be really challenging to work together in, in whatever, 
whatever area you're 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 in uh, uh, from politics on down. Yeah, no, for sure, absolutely. No, I I completely agree. All right, so a um, couple more questions that I had for you, and these are more specific to you because I think every time we have a guest on and um, we we want to find out more about them and how in general they they fell in love with the sports. So how did you get started in sports journalism in general? How how did that start? Yeah, so I you know I grew up as a I grew up in South Jersey actually um, lived in a lot of a bunch of different towns and soccer was one of you know it was one of it was one of my sports right you know you, you sort of I definitely grew up in the you know in the the 80s and 90s where you you know your kid in the suburbs you just play every sport you can um, if there's a ball you, you, you know you have it in your garage and you go out and you play it so uh, but soccer was definitely one of the ones for me that was uh, you know it was yeah, soccer and baseball were my sport, my big sports that I played and, um, you know, soccer in the, the fall, baseball in the spring and summer. And uh, so, you know, for me, it was always like a, a sport that I, I liked it, but it was hard to follow and it was hard to sort of be a fan of the game in the, in the 80s and 90s. And really until 2010, when Philadelphia got a team, uh, you know, it was hard to really even like, and I've watched it, of course, but, you know, I don't watch I definitely watched a lot more uh, European soccer than MLS until the, the union came into play. So, uh, but in terms of writing, you know, I was, um, I was the editor of my high school sports editor of my high school newspaper and, you know, kind of cover all the sports and did the, you know, I did the PA announcing for the, the gridiron games and the basketball games. And, you know, it was the voice of the Mustangs, my, my school at my high school. So that was, uh, I was always kind of interested in, in sports from, you know, uh, you know, standpoint of, uh, you know, I feel like whenever I'm a fan of something, I just, I, I become, I get so into it that I'm no longer really a fan. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what happened with uh, sports writing is that I, you know, the big fan of sports and now I'm not because I, I'm basically, it's a job and you're covering uh, sports. And I started in Oklahoma, uh, you know, went down there for after I finished college and was doing a lot of just like kind of freelance sports writing for you know, stringing for papers and uh, writing for websites and uh, started, uh, did a lot of like high school football, which is really big and popular in, 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 in Oklahoma around the Tulsa area. And, uh, you know, I found that um, I loved, I loved writing about football and I loved writing about soccer. Like I remember I got an assignment to, you know, to write about a, a, a local, you know, a, lead, a star local star high school star and soccer player and you know really enjoyed that and uh you know would always get excited when I got to cover a soccer game and I was not so excited when I had to go to a swim meet or uh, a softball <laughs> you know I, I remember covering a soft like a girls softball tournament on a weekend where it was like 14 games or something and I was I don't really want to do this with my life uh, <laughs> uh you know at the time I'm like a 22 year old guy talking to like you know you know back when that was like awkward to be a 22 year old guy talking to a 14 year old girl um I mean now I don't really care because I'm a dad so it doesn't matter but back then I was like I just this isn't really what I want to do with my life so I kind of moved back to New Jersey got a job covering hard news you know co covering cops covering you know, explosions, you know, double murder, suicides, all that, 
uh, you know, the blood and gut stuff that sells papers in, in uh, certain <laughs> certain uh, areas of New Jersey. Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of found my way there and, you know, into higher education and stuff. And then, uh, you know, eventually kind of got out of uh, full-time newspaper. I mean, it was my, my, it was my love. I mean, journalism is, uh, is near and dear to my heart. And, it, you know, if it, if the lifestyle was better and the pay was better, I'd still be doing that, you know, full time. Um, and then, you know, kind of went in more of like a, uh, you know, not like a nonprofit communications kind of angle and have, have kind of been doing that for my day job for, uh, oh gosh, the last uh, 12, 13 years or so. And, but all along kind of like f trying to find uh, like, freelance things like for a long time I covered you know, school board meetings and uh you know I, just 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 enough so I could those be are there riveting and, those are absolutely oh, they, riveting they are but I, I would always try to like have a relationship with a paper where I was living so that I enough that I could get invited to help with election day coverage because election day coverage is the absolute most fun you can have in news reporting that it's it's the one thing that feels like sports but it isn't um, you know, cause you, you don't know the outcome usually sometimes you do, <laughs> uh, in New Jersey, you kind of know, uh, you kind of know the outcome, um, of most, most races. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's just an exciting thing. So I would always kind of do that in every election. I'll, I'll, I'll be feeling it on Tuesday. Like, man, can someone just like, I'll volunteer somewhere to, to cover the election for you. But, um, you know, and then I think, uh, from there, just like kind of moving back to this area, and the union, you know, had, had um, started like, right like a, so I moved back really to the Philly area in 2011 and, you know, moved like 10 minutes from the stadium and, uh, you know, and I, I'd followed them, but it was like, you know, <laughs> I, I was living in Louisville. I was like, you know, kind of out of the area. And, um, and of course now I'm like, Louisville was Louisville, I lived in Louisville the wrong time. Um, it was not quite what it is now in terms of soccer, but now they're getting a women's team. I'm like, man, why, why, why wasn't this stuff there when I lived there? This is, <laughs> this is, a, this is like become, uh, maybe I somehow weirdly accidentally had an influence. I don't know. Maybe uh, it was you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, they, maybe they'll name like, like a bent, like a seating area after you. There you go. You um, a section. Yeah, but no, I think and, and through like relationships of like playing with people, playing in Casa, playing uh, playing at YFC, you know, I kind of got roped into to, to writing some stuff and and uh, like I said, I'm I'm kind of one of those people where, you know, I'm always sort of looking for something to to sort of do um, with my free time and uh, you know, and so that's how I kind of got into brotherly game and and covering the union and sort of traded in my uh, my my sons of Ben membership for for press pass and that kind of thing and so I, I you know the last few years it's really kind of become more uh, you know more more of a focus for me and that's kind of my uh, you know kind of my area and I think too just like because of my backgrounds in journalism like I, I want to tell stories you know I want to I want to I want to uh, you know it's not just for me it's not just the union I mean that's our that's sort of our lifeblood of our site because we're, you know, an SB Nation fan site that covers the Philadelphia Union. Uh, but I also want to, you know, be writing about all kinds of other things too. Um, I definitely kind of came up in that like community journalism world where you, you know, someone, uh, you know, someone gets a, finds a rare expensive antique on, on eBay and you're writing a story about it, right? Like 
you know, I definitely did that one uh, over Christmas. I wrote, wrote about this <laughs> antique because um, it's a, there's a local tie and there's a, you know there's a reason to tell a story. And so for me, that's that's really what it's why it's so important to to really highlight soccer in all of its forms in the Philadelphia area. Um, I, if I could do it full time, I'd do, I do I would, but you know there's there's not a lot of uh, <laughs> there's not there's no health benefits in uh, in writing about soccer. Oh I, yeah, no, listen, there's not much else in coaching either. So I can <laughs> we can Dwayne and I Dwayne and I can uh, can attest to that. Well, and ultimately, like there we don't have um, uh, a press department in a, at the club level. Uh, sometimes I wish we did. Uh, we we have a marketing analytics department uh, for the soccer podcast, but it ultimately ends up just being uh very very understaffed uh it's sometimes hard to find uh so it becomes difficult but i do think um i do think you brought up something that i think is is very interesting and that's the the idea of telling stories and and ultimately highlighting the the human the human element of of the game which we talk about this all the time about how important that is and how this game or how sports in general but obviously you know the soccer podcast so we're going to talk about soccer uh but how this this sport does it throughout the entire world it does bring people together there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are sometimes not right with it uh there's a lot of things that are somewhat ugly but but at the core of it it's a it's wholesome family fun right like it's it's it brings people together it's uh it's my son or my daughter wearing a soccer jersey it's buying a soccer jersey for them and and what the meaning for that is is you know i bought i i was at a, an adidas outlet a couple of weeks ago and i bought my my daughter and my son an arsenal jersey i'm not an arsenal fan but my best friend is so i bought it and i sent them a picture of it and i said listen this is the only red and white jersey that will ever be in my house uh because you're my best friend and I want my kids to know what Arsenal means to uncle fields. Like that, that kind of thing is what this sport can do. Um, it was funny. I was talking to him right before we started recording the podcast actually. And, and we were talking about a bunch of different club things. And then I asked him, I said, Hey man, what's going on with your boy Ozil? Like, why isn't Ozil playing? And we went in this whole like conversation about just in general soccer, um, but that's what it does. That's what it does, right? It brings people together, and I think the ability to relate it to why it's important to places. And I've gotten to know that in Delaware, and even in the Philadelphia area over the last five years. When I lived here, and I grew up in South Florida, where it, I mean, allegiance changes every thirty seconds. If you're good, you're good. If you're bad, we don't care. We move on to somebody else. And I watched it with the Miami Heat. Uh, Miami Heat couldn't sell tickets before LeBron got there, uh, you know, it, it was you used to be able to go sit in the anywhere you wanted for like 15, 20 bucks and nobody cared. LeBron got there and prices skyrocketed and everybody jumped on the bandwagon about oh, Miami Heat, Miami Heat, Marlins the same way, the Dolphins the same way. So for me, coming into this in this part of the country where I think Philadelphia fans are probably unlike anything I've ever seen before uh and i know it every time i try to schedule a game on sunday at one o'clock or any time between sunday between one and eight uh i get very angry looks from parents um but it's an it's a good it's a good feeling to have in the sense that there's a there's pride there of where you where you are you know people cheer for the birds uh people 
want the Flyers to win. They want the Sixers to succeed. Uh, you know, it's it's it, it, it. I I think it's I think it's for soccer. I think it's one of the best things that that could happen. I think this is one of the undiscovered parts of the of the world to a certain extent in the grand scheme of things that soccer I think could thrive uh hugely like immensely yeah definitely and I I think it is it it sometimes is overwhelming when you think about how many uh you know how many clubs are in this area how many players who are from this area who are doing uh doing great things and you know in the game and who you know even I mean gosh Delaware as small as this a small state as Delaware is and I I do have a Delaware cred I lived in Newark for a year so um, I, I always like to say, like, I've lived in every, every part of, uh, the, the area that I cover, uh, soccer. And so, uh, you know, I've lived, I lived in, uh, you know, the same County as, as Brendan Aronson for a while I lived in, uh, before he was born, but I lived in all these places. I lived in Delaware. I've lived in Pennsylvania. I lived in central PA. I lived, um, you know, lived in South Jersey and stuff. So, um, never within the city though. So that, 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 that takes away, I think, uh, from my 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 credential there but um no i, I think it's uh it, it's a, it's a great place I'm, I'm not a philly sports fan which is uh because i kind of picked my teams before i moved to philadelphia but i always say i'm a i became a union fan because uh, they became a team when i was you know as, as a philadelphian so uh you know south jersey and or from the area of philadelphia and uh no it's great it's been it's been cool to kind of see uh the the loyalty of the fans kind of rewarded this year um, you know, there have been a lot of fans who have really stuck with this team uh, from the beginning who were there, um, you know, kind of clamoring for the for a team that really, in hindsight, we, uh, you know, we really should have had the team in 96. Um, I'm, I'm still convinced of that, I, you know, yes, there wasn't a stadium and that was cited as the reason, but they're really this Philadelphia should have been one of the original cities in MLS. And if I can ever go back and change history, I will, I will find a way to do that. But um you know the the 10 year 10 years you know after this this whole thing started there's been a lot of things to not be happy about there's been a lot of things reasons for fans who have kind of left the club who've kind of moved on and done other things with, you know with their 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 sports and entertainment time and money but i think that the fans who have really stuck by this team have been rewarded uh, it's 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 entertaining right i mean it's um, you know, I, I too, you know, I'm a, I actually am an Arsenal fan. That's kind of how I really became a fan of soccer, uh, of club soccer. And, um, you know, I was living in and doing studying in London for a semester. And uh, my one of my professors took us to uh, to Highbury and uh, I'm forever grateful to her for that. Um, you know, because, you know, kind of getting that vision of what it means to be, you know, like I said, I, I'm, uh, you know, I've a lifelong soccer person like I love soccer but to become a an actual fan of soccer like part of the fan culture and part of the um you know you know the the things that I think we're we're able to build now right like um I always I always say that um you know part of the problem in with soccer in this country was if you don't have if, if, if you're coaching a team and you you now you can tell your kids like pick a pick a game Every, you can pick a game on the weekend. Go watch that game. My coach could, first of all, my coach didn't even know that there were games existing outside of, you know, Pee Wee Soccer and Mount Laurel. Because um, he was probably, probably had a textbook that he checked out of the library about how to coach <laughs> soccer. And, but there was no, there was nothing like, I mean, as a seven-year-old kid, 
um, what is my coach going to be able to like, my coach can't say, go watch the Arsenal game this weekend. And you'll see and, and use that, right? Like as, as a way to sort of like, you know, get me interested in the game beyond just uh, playing it. And so I think there's, there's so much more now of an opportunity for people to become uh, just, just students of the game and fan, fan, fans of the game here in this country and to sort of choose soccer. Because, you know, a lot of times like soccer, soccer wasn't ever a choice. It was something you did, um, you know, three-year-olds can't play football, so they play soccer. Um, you know, it was never really a choice. Now I think it, it is one of the main choices, like, you know, in terms of whether you're fo- whatever league you're following or whatever your allegiances are, soccer is, is going to be one of the main choices that, that young people, I mean, my kids, my kids, my kids are like really intrigued by baseball. My son is super interested in baseball because he has no idea what it is. (laughs) (laughs) He knows all about soccer. Like soccer is like, like our lives are soccer, but he's like, dad, that baseball is real. I think that's my favorite sport. Like, Oh, and you, we're going to have to explain I have to explain to him what it is, you know? Um, or he's like, when he sees a football, he's like, dad, why is that ball shaped that way? You know? Um, Cause it, it's just not, it's not really, it's not, I mean, we're not a, my, my wife is not a sports fan at all. Um, she tolerates soccer, but she does not like any other sport even a little bit. And so, um, you know, it's just interesting to kind of see now that this younger generation, I mean, you know, Brendan doesn't remember a time when there wasn't a Philadelphia union team. Barely. He barely remembers, right? He was nine when the team started and now he has a chance to, to win a trophy for that team like that. That's pretty cool. That's amazing. That's yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's the, that's the key though. Right. I mean, ultimately the accessibility and and Dwayne and I do it from a coaching perspective where we encourage our players, like you live in an era that, Dwayne and I didn't live in I mean maybe Dwayne because he's a little bit younger than I am but um like YouTube exists uh Google exists your ability to watch any sort of game that you want exists you want to watch the 1986 World Cup you you can it's on YouTube it's it's on the (laughs) FIFA website like you can go and watch it right now if you really want to uh so your ability to do that is is absolutely the accessibility is just uh, at an all-time high from that perspective and i think that's that's extremely important um all right so before we wrap up we always ask who are your three favorite soccer players of all time it can be from anybody it can be from anywhere who okay. are your three favorite soccer players all right well you know i mentioned going to highbury in 98 and that's a big part of my soccer story and uh, you know i'll never forget seeing um dennis Bergkamp play uh, because even then he looked, he just, the guy, he looked old, you know, like, and certainly as a, you know, not well-versed in watching soccer, like I said, as a fan, I'm like, why is everyone going bonkers over this like old looking white guy who just like, <laughs> he just, I, he just didn't, he didn't look anything special. Right. Cause like, I'm used to like going American sports where you see, you see a star athlete, you know, he's a star athlete, just looking at him. Right. Like, you see the you see the definition of the muscles and you see the you know just the 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 way they carry themselves and so um, I was like why is everyone making like it doesn't look anything special and then the like you know the the game starts and I and I and I watch him just you know and you're like oh my it's like watching poetry on the field and 
the way he the way he the way he would make runs and the way he would turn and when he'd get that ball it was I was like that's that's for me that's what like made me really understand and fall in love with soccer as a fan and so uh you know I always bring him up because that's uh that's sort of a, a important moment in my you know when I was 19 years old or whatever 20 years old and um and then for me I mean as a as a U.S. US guy like you know for me prior to that it was you know the U.S. team was was the entry right you follow the world cup and um you know it was always a Brian McBride was always a guy for me who you know was you know he 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 put it all out there you know he he'd uh he'd be bleeding all over his jersey uh, uh back when we weren't as uh you know strict about changing the jersey <laughs> <laughs> with blood on it um and i mean he just you know he put it all out there and i think he was a player who just um you know, he did, he did spectacular things, uh, for, you know, for a number of teams and a number of places and, you know, one, one MLS cup and everything. And then, um, you know, I, I uh, you know, I have a, I'm a little torn about the third one. Um, but I think, you know, Sebastian Latou is just, uh, you know, kind of an obvious answer for, uh, from a union perspective as someone who just was such a, was such an important part of selling the union. Um, and I think, you know, it, it helps that he was good, but <laughs> uh, that that's part of it. But I think he was like his, what he brought to Philadelphia was so critical um, in 2010. I mean, for him to kind of come out and score that hat trick and, you know, sort of introduce, he introduced the city of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia region to professional soccer. And uh, I think, when we look back on the union history 20, 30 years from now, we're going to say, we're going to still talk about Latou um, as someone who was an ambassador for the game, someone who just really uh, was, was transformative in terms of, uh, you know, you know, people that, I mean, I knew who he was before he was even with the union, but um, you know, he had lots of success in the open cup and everything. And um, you know, but you know, when I have you know, I have friends that like, you know, I have a lot of my friends or most of my friends growing up are, are Philly Philly sports guys, and um, you know, they're talking about, oh, who's this Latou guy? I'm like, that to that to me was like, okay, like I know people who became Union fans because of Latou because it was like, uh, I'm not like I'm not really a star player guy. I, I root for teams. I don't I don't really care about stars, but. Um, uh, you know, he really was that guy for the union. And so I think he, he does, he's, you know, who else should have been the first to go ring an honor? I mean, there's really, there was really no question who that would be. No, that's, that's fantastic. That's, those are three really good choices. And uh, two that we've had before, actually, interestingly enough, two that we had, okay, um, which are cool because that means uh, Arsenal was kind of the same idea. Uh, uh, Burkamp, um, my buddy Fields, the same idea. He he fell in love with Arsenal because of Bergkamp, and then Sebastian Latou was the same idea, same concept. You just fell in love with the Philadelphia Union because of Latou. So I think that's that's important, um, and I yeah, think it's I think yeah. I think it speaks to the to the team as well. Yeah, and I think there's more to it, right? Than just like you know, there's there's plenty of players, you know, uh, that. There, there's something there's something more than just being good at soccer right right like, and bird camp i think brought something so much more than just i mean he had he was on a whole other level but i think he for me like opened up like the idea that the thing that's so beautiful about soccer is that it's so much more than like what you just like see right it's so much about like the possibilities and 
for Burkamp, like when he had the ball, the possibilities were really endless. I mean, Henri certainly was another player like that for Arsenal. Um, you know, there's, you know, so many, like Messi is, is just to me, um, you know, w- w- these players where you think you've, you think you've have them figured out, right? Like you watch them enough, you think, okay, they're going to do this and this is going to happen or, you know, defenders obviously like, you know, they, they have no chance because they think, they think they have this figured out. They've watched enough film. I know what he's going to do. And they do something completely different and they do something they've never even done before. And they pull it off and you're like that, that's what's beautiful about the game. Um, you know, you can only, you can only hit a 400 foot home run so many ways, but you can score a goal in like, <laughs> or make yeah. a pass or make a run, like a dummy or a dummy or a run or a, uh, you know, just a, a you know, a, a force a turnover. There's just so many endless possibilities, and I think players that transcend the game like show you the endless uh, and how endless those possibilities are. Yeah, no, absolutely, I, I I agree. Well, Matt, we appreciate you coming on. I think um, we've we really enjoyed your take on 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 the Philadelphia aspect of it, and even just soccer in general, um, and the ability to. Um, and it shows in your writing as well. So uh, make sure you go check out brotherlygame.com and uh, and look out for anything that Matt's putting out because it's it's really good. Uh, it's a good way for us to be able to keep in touch or or have an idea of what's going on um, uh, with the Philadelphia Union or just anybody from from this area, soccer related and and just in overall with sports. Uh, and then your Twitter. Uh, gotta give out. Gotta give out your Twitter. Uh, go ahead, give a, give a, uh, give everybody your Twitter. It's Matt Ralph underscore TBG. There you go. Make sure you go follow, go follow Matt on on Twitter as well. Well, thanks Matt for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is great. All right, so we're moving on to what's been a crazy week of soccer games. Uh, some shocking just, results. Some shocking results. We just heard. We just talked about the Philadelphia Union with Matt Ralph. Uh, but now, I mean, Champions League is back. Europa League is back. And what, I mean, Tottenham loses yesterday. Oh, you you pulled it right out. Tottenham. Uh, to, uh, to Antwerp, I mean, uh, yeah. I, they lose to? <laughs> Antwerp, man, from Belgium. <laughs> Again, who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely interesting. Uh, it, it's been a crazy, it's definitely been a crazy week of results. I think I think it's been a crazy, not even just week. I think it's just been a crazy restart with the way that the last season, last year's season ended with some, it just ended where it was some, it, they finished and went to the champions league. Like everybody was at a different place. Like no one had a complete, you know, summer or holiday as they call it. You know, everybody yeah. was in different places and just had to kind of, it's kind of like a continuance of last year, pretty much. Yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. And also, Sevilla is not going into the Europa League this year. They are, they're going to get out of the group stage and have to play in the round of 32 or 16 or wherever it starts in the Champions League this year. No Europa League back to back champions. I mean, at least right now, after two games. Uh, draw yeah, one, draw one, one, one. I mean, uh, Renz if they started making the back to back t shirts, I would suggest to stop production now. <laughs> yeah, free t shirts. Yeah, just sent, just yeah, hand them out. 
Um, but I mean, right now the the interesting group to me right now is that that Ajax group. The Ajax group is is really intriguing to me uh, because I somewhat like we said last week, someone's getting voted off that island. Liverpool, Atalanta, Ajax, or Mitla. Midland or obviously they're not going to make it through, but Ajax, huh. I don't Don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Don't sleep the way that group is going. Yeah. Um, the, I the think other surprise was Chelsea scoring the amount of goals they did. And I, it might be that I need to just start turning off more games. Uh, <laughs> I was watching the Chelsea game and it was one nothing for the longest time. It didn't look like anybody else was going to score. So I, I, I flipped to, I think, the PSG game. And Boom, three goals. And then, yeah, three goals. And I'm just like, man, this just happened last week with, like, I think it was, like, West Ham. Yeah. Came back in time. So, it's like, I'm watching the game. I turn it off. You know, everybody else should turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and Pulisic scored, which was which is good. I mean. It's my uh, he came play back. Um, question. The, <laughs> um, the interesting group, I think, is also this – Group B of the Champions League, Shakhtar at the top of the table. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach is second in the group. Uh, Inter Milan third, and Real Madrid sitting on a point. Madrid and Barcelona this year are not the same. Madrid and Barcelona. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. I, I, well, we'll we'll talk about it when we get to the player of the match. But I, I got something to say about Barcelona. They're uh, not. They're not the same that we're used to. They're not, but they might be okay. No, I'm not saying they're. Ter- I'm not going to say that they're going to be relegated or finish mid-table. They're still going to be at the top of their leagues as they always are. Because who else are they competing against other than Sevilla, Atletico, and Real Madrid. Anybody else that wants to Villarreal or Valencia, whoever yeah. else wants to pop up there. Um, well, Real Sociedad's at the top of the table right now. We'll see how that. No, yeah, if that you look at La Liga's table right now, you'll like, who? backwards. Yeah, it's backwards. Um, right, well, so I think it's a, well, it's a good enough segue to move on to the player of the match. My player of the match is Messi. Uh, it's not a player that I compliment a ton, mostly because I think the expectations are just high, but. I think the way he played on Wednesday against Juve was very good. And it might be the best way that him and Griezmann have ever played together. That first five minutes had me like sitting at the edge of my seat. Like, wow. Yeah. Hit the post. Like first shot. Boom. Post. Like (laughs) Like 30 seconds. I was like, oh. Like, this is going to be fun. And it was fun. It was a good game. Alvaro Morata gets three goals called back for offsides against them. I mean, I, I would love oh, somebody. Yeah. To, That's like more of an American football thing. <laughs> like, I, I would love somebody to send me the stats of if there any ever been anybody that's gotten three goals called back against them in one game. I, I, every time you scored up, first thing you see is that hand shooting straight up. And then you look <laughs> over and they're calling. I was just like, what? Yeah. Yeah, um, it was definitely interesting. I think it. I'm intrigued by what Messi can do. If that, if this is going to be the team, I'm. I, I think I have hopes that 
they can be okay to a certain extent. So. I think it's the team. I think they just need to figure out. I don't know if the shape is the right shape. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, but the middle of the field wasn't bad. I mean, um, the the two players in the middle of the field with um, De Jong and uh, the guy that just came from Juve. Uh, now I just uh, went... Pjanic. Uh, Pjanic. Pjanic. Um, he played really well too. Yeah, they they played really well. Then somehow, uh, Dijon started playing as a center back, which was kind of strange. Um, Barcelona style. Don't question the style, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, but still, I think I think it's still I think it's still a good. Uh, I, I have a. I, I'm like I said. I think that there's something there. Um, and and something can happen within that within that group. Um, I think Coutinho drives this group forward. Keeps doing what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, once he's not, once he's once he's healthy, yeah. But Pedri did really well. I thought he was really good. You know, I texted you after this. That yeah. turn he did, they were on like a counter, and that yeah. turn that he did, and it was just like instinct. And I was just like, "Oh, this yeah. kid's special." Yeah, he's good. And he's 17 right along with Fati. So, yeah. Keep him. <laughs> yeah, keep him. Definitely keep Both him. of them. Yeah, Ricky Pooch didn't come on, but I got hopes for the for the return for the return game. Whenever they play, what is it like Mallorca or Huesca or one of those bad teams, they'll come on and score a hat trick and then all will be good with the world. Yep, that's right. All right, who do you have for your player of the match? Um, Corey Burke. Um, he scored a goal. Um, he's been back with the union for like a couple of weeks now, but it, he's had a long journey to get there. Some issues with his visa. He ended up getting sent on loan overseas to Europe. He ended up getting sent on loan to Jamaica just to stay fit. Um, but, you know, he was always loyal to the union. He knew it was only a temporary, supposed to be a couple of weeks situation, ended up being 18 months. But, uh, you know, stayed loyal to the union, comes back and scores a goal. So well-deserved for Corey Burke. Yeah, match-winning goal. Match-winning goal. And then, yeah. again, sticking with that theme of in MLS, you've got to score goals to win. Like, yeah. you've got to be able to score multiple goals to win because there's a lot of 1-1 ties or 0-0 ties in MLS. So having that goal-scoring threat, which I don't think the union have, I think it's kind of a committee group where it's like, all right, one of these four guys is going to score and we're going to win. Think Corey Burke, you know, if he could come in and score goals, they'll be lifting up some hardware and we'll be at that parade in a couple, probably in 2022 after all this is cleared up. <laughs> we'll be going parade. back and doing Bur- parades from previous years. Virtual parade. <laughs> Zoom parade. There you go. Well, actually, uh, it's going sale today for the playoffs. So Dan and I were thinking about taking a trip. Oh, are we taking the show on the road again? We can. I don't know how many tickets I get. If it's four, we're in. All right, let's do it. Let's go. I'm in. Let's go for it. All right. Um, on this day in history, so we hinted at this last week. Did you figure it out? Can I get the question again, please? Yes, you can. Uh, so last week, it was Pele's birthday. So who would be in that like podium right there with them? that you would say considering I would like the player like 
if Pele was Brazil, then Maradona's birthday. Maradona's birthday. That's right. Oh yeah, because he said for his 60th birthday present, he would love to score a goal with the right hand against England. And he scored <laughs> with the left hand, right? Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen today. Fifth birthday, he would love to go back and score a right-handed goal. (laughs) Listen, uh, okay. (laughs) All right. Well, just delusion just starting to set in. Um, But, yeah, so Diego Maradona is 60 years old today. Um, That's our on this day in history. So, recap, he retired like two or three times. He came back a bunch of different times. Um, But, obviously – a, a long career of ups and downs of different things. Won the World Cup with Argentina. Um, took Napoli to be uh, an amazing club at the time when they really weren't. Uh, played at Barcelona. Um, then one to- of the best moves of all time. Yeah, it, I think it's interesting. It's interesting to describe it. Um, and I've watched a lot of there was a there's an Argentinian channel that did 10 hours of Maradona footage in a row, like ten, Maradona marathon. Um, I didn't even know they had footage back then. Oh, yeah. 10 hours of it. It's it's incredible. And it's like all different stuff. Like it's not just like, you know, five hours of play and then five hours. I'm talking it like kind of switches back and forth. And it's it's very good. And I watched all 10 hours at some point. Um. And what I think he was able to do in the time that he played, I thought was unreal. Uh, I mean, there was there was games, there was a game from the '86 World Cup where he's literally getting like hacked. Like players are players are flying in with these like red card challenges, and they're barely getting a yellow out of them. And I'm just like, you just see this guy get up and do it again. That's what we need in today's game. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now with VAR, you can't, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, I think if he had, I think no one can ever take away what he did as a player. Um, everything off the field is questionable um, up for debate, whether you agree with it or not. Most of it, I don't agree with. I don't even agree with him being a coach either. Cause I'm not entirely sure that he's that knowledgeable from a, coaching perspective um what he said when he won it for his birthday he should know not be considered to be a coach if you i watched coach, i watched i watched his netflix show that he when he was coaching in mexico i watched all episodes of it and not, not once that i was like oh my god like i picked something up if you're not picking really. him up as a coach your club is in dire financial straits and you just doing it for publicity the biggest coaching thing i've ever picked up from him was when he was talking to harry kane like last year or two years ago and he told harry kane to um hit the ball with the outside of his foot at times instead of just like straight power and switch the basically switch the post like on the goalkeeper and that's that's i was like oh wow that's pretty cool it's good good advice to harry kane and then that's it. Like that's all I've ever really seen from him as a. So I don't know. I think he's definitely had an interesting career. I think as a player, that I don't from on the field, like him on the field, fantastic, unreal. Probably at least 
I never get to watch. I never got to watch him play. Is I mean, I was ten years old when he when he retired, and by that point, he wasn't really playing a whole lot. Um, but I, from my perspective, one of the best players I've ever seen. What like I've ever seen from a video perspective, not in person, but yeah. Uh, so that's on this day in history. All right. Uh, oh, we'll give a few stats real quick. So play for Argentinos Juniors in Argentina, 167 games, 116 goals. So definitely scored a lot of goals for Boca Juniors. The first time played 40 games, scored 28 goals. Oh, that, that is a one cool little fun fact. My dad has all the ticket stubs from the Boca Juniors games from a lot of those years when Maradona was playing. That's pretty cool. So yeah, we found those recently, actually. So those are those just, are like that's that is like the icon. That is like his like Jordan almost. Yeah, and he got to watch him play in real life. So I gotta find my uh, Freddie Adu ticket stubs. <laughs> oh boy, oh man, I don't think you can give him this Freddie Adu for sale. <laughs> um. <laughs> all right, so uh, fair play of the week. Mine is gonna go to the Philadelphia Union because. At the game on Wednesday night, there was some clown that started yelling some things that were extremely inappropriate. They got caught on video, and the Philadelphia Union put out a statement that said that they are in the process of figuring out who that person is, and they are never going to be allowed to be at the matches ever again or an event for the Philadelphia Union. So good for them to take a stance um, and to basically be harsh, man. Bring down the hammer. If you're gonna act like an idiot, you're you're going to be punished for it. Yeah, especially in this day of age, like it's gonna happen. Like, don't even do it. Not only that, so, but you're in a, you're in a stadium where like you can hear everything you're saying. Like, I just echoing I off the. Bridge. I don't get it. I don't understand how we can still live in this society where this is okay. I don't understand it. Who's and your there's favorite? what. They know who the fans are. There's what twenty five hundred fans being allowed into the game, so it's pretty. You easy know to where he's sitting. A in section E. Yeah, twenty five people here, and there's the guy in the first row, so we know exactly who you are. Yeah, this is not that difficult. Uh, all right, who's yours? Uh, mine is going to Christian Pulisic. So um, we hinted on it earlier. He scored a goal for Chelsea on when they play Tuesday. Yep. Um, so he is now the U.S. Men's National Team Champions League goal leader. Well, he's tied for the lead. Do you know who, anybody else on this very short list, Sebastian? Um, I'm going to say uh, – I'm going to – yeah, he would have been um, – what's his name? Oh, man, I just, just blanked on him. Um, just recently retired, not too long yeah. ago, from uh, Portland, Seattle. Uh, played at Fulham, played at Spurs, right? No? Dempsey? Yeah, no, yeah, Clint Dempsey. He is not on this list. Oh, I was going for Clint Dempsey. Dempsey. No, not Clint Dempsey. All right. Oh. It's when I when you look at this list, um, the guy he's tied with, you would guess just because he's been around for a long time, recently retired. Chris Wondolowski. No, he's never. <laughs> I don't think he's ever left San Diego. I don't think he's ever going to leave San Diego. No, um, 
So he's tied with Demarcus Beasley with four. Demarcus Beasley. And I think he's probably scored a lot of those goals at Rangers. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. All right. Bobby and Johnson and Jermaine Jones are tied with two. Bobby and Johnson have probably scored better goals than Jermaine Jones. So if if Pulisic doesn't is not the all time like by the time his career's done, he doesn't achieve some like unreal number that it'd be yeah, very because I don't see the two active guys catching him just because of where they like Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney both have one and they're just not going to score a lot of Geo could that he might yeah, be the best, <laughs> but he could though. He could. Hey, you never know, man. Brendan Aronson about to hit Salzburg. Well, I didn't even realize Salzburg's in the. That's right, in the Champions League. Might get that Europa League. By the time he gets there, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, or you Champions League. That, going from MLS to the Europa League. Or the Champions League. I mean, you're a tough group, but still, could could happen. Could definitely happen. I don't know. I saw something and they were like, I think it might have been uh, Matt's page where they were like, is anybody buying this Red Bull Salzburg jersey if you're truly a Union fan? No. Right? Because like you got Red Bull, New York Red Bulls right here. They're, they're like the Union's main rival. Yeah. Buying that Brendan Aronson jersey? Maybe the away kit. <laughs> the away kit. You don't, you, you buy that specialty kit. You don't buy the home kit. Not the white one. Don't buy the red one. No, 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 no. All right. Uh, yeah, that's good. All right. Well, um, make sure you follow us on facebook.com slash Delaware Union on Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer on Twitter at the Union Soccer. Thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. Mm-hmm.